live in Times Square. This is Good Morning America. Good morning, America. You got a kick out of that oh, clip, huh? I, I sure did. I sure did. It was nice to see them back together like that, the reunion. Yeah, um, and I want to say to our audience, get ready to gird your loins. Let's go. <laughs> That's the way to start a Monday. Yes. It was a big weekend in the race for the White House. Rachel Scott and Rick Klein are standing by to break down the results from South Carolina and the road ahead. But we're going to begin with a new storm set to sweep across the country, starting in the west with snow, then threatening much of the rest of the country with heavy rain and possible tornadoes. Of course, Ginger, mm. tracking it all for us. Good morning. Hey, good morning to you. So we've got pictures out of Stevens Pass first because they've got winter storm warnings still through this afternoon in the Cascades. But wait till you see how many alerts are on the map all the way down into the desert southwest for winter storm warnings. And we've got wind advisories for gusts upwards of 70 miles per hour down into New Mexico, parts of Arizona, into the northern plains because this storm is really powerful and it's got a big temperature gradient, meaning extreme warmth on the front end and then snow and cold on the back. There will be severe storms. So tomorrow night, especially, look for tornadoes damaging wind and even hail all the way from Missouri right through much of Illinois into Fort Wayne, Terre Haute, uh, Ypsilanti, back to Grand Rapids, St. Joe. And I want to just mention that this does eventually come east. We will be very stormy Wednesday night, but I, I'll, I'll say gird your loins because <laughs> a place like Chicago is going to go from February all-time heat to potentially some snowflakes wow. within 24 hours. Well, we're going to find out who's going to be the third person to say that later on in the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have the latest now in the race for the White House. Donald Trump is one step closer to taking full control of the Republican Party, effectively locking up his party's nomination with his win in South Carolina over the weekend. Rachel Scott is tracking the race. Good morning, Rachel. Hey, George, good morning. And Nikki Haley has said all along, win or lose her home state of South Carolina, she has enough resources to stay in this race. But now after her defeat, the political organization founded by the billionaire Koch brothers says it will no longer support her campaign. This morning, a major blow for Nikki Haley. Just hours after losing the South Carolina primary, the billionaire-backed Coke Network said it will stop spending money to support her campaign. In an internal email obtained by ABC News, Americans for Prosperity Action noting the primary challenges ahead, stating, we don't believe any outside group can make a material difference to widen her path to victory. It comes as Donald Trump solidifies his grip on the Republican Party. The former president's plan to take over the RNC now seems all but certain. Thank you very much. Wow. This morning, ABC News learning RNC chair Ronna McDaniel plans to step down next week. And Trump has already decided who should replace her. North Carolina GOP chair Michael Watley with Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, serving as co-chair. Sources tell ABC News Trump was drawn to Watley because he backs his false claims about the 2020 election. That's my kind of guy. He had hundreds of lawyers. I ended, how many lawyers did you have? Trump doesn't get the final say. There will be an election to choose the new RNC chair. Haley outraged. I think having a family member run it or a campaign manager being a part of it should not qualify it. And I, I would hope that the people in the RNC know that they have a responsibility, a responsibility to put in people in the RNC who are going to look out in the best interest of all of the Republican Party, not just one person. Haley lost to Trump by 20 points in her home state of South Carolina. She's still vowing to fight on, flying straight to Michigan ahead of tomorrow's primary. We can't afford four more years of Biden's failures <laughs> or Trump's lack of focus. And she's taking on the former president for these comments he made at a black conservative gala. These lights are so bright in my eyes that I can't see too many people out there. But uh, 
I can only see the black ones. I can't see any white ones. He got indicted a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me, because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. Nikki Haley telling me those comments from Trump are disgusting, calling it a huge warning sign for the Republican Party as it tries to expand its 10 and appeal to black voters. The Biden campaign also weighing in, calling it moronic and just plain racist, George. Okay, Rachel, thanks very much. Hard not to, hard to disagree with that one right there. Let's bring our political director, Rick Klein, to break down the results. What do we learn, Rick? Yeah, George, Nikki Haley said she needed to close the gap, but actually the opposite is what happened. She started out in Iowa, losing by more than 30 points, moved over to New Hampshire, lost by about 11, then came to her home state, and guess what? She lost by 20 points. That's a big blow to her campaign. And if you look at exactly how it broke down, look, Trump swept most of the state. The only places that Haley was able to break through, the state capital of Columbia and down in the low country. And in fact, that's the only way she got any delegates at all, was out of that one congressional district. But that's three delegates out of the 50 that South Carolina awards her home state went all Trump. And this is why, this is emblematic, I think, of the path ahead and why it's so difficult for Nikki Haley. This is the voting that happens over just the next eight days, 20 states. It's basically a nationwide campaign right now. But Nikki Haley is not looking at the entire nation. There's only a handful of states that she's looking to visit in the next couple of days. And she doesn't have a realistic chance of winning any of them, maybe one or two delegates here or there, maybe to make a statement about Trump's vulnerabilities, but not to catch him in this race, George. Right. She can't get the delegates she needs for the nominations. But there are some warning signs for the general election for Trump in those numbers. Yeah, and check out this in the exit polls. Donald Trump romped among Republicans in South Carolina and won by 70, 70-30, uh, 70, a 40-point margin. But among independents, it was actually Haley by 25 points. So it's one thing to win in the Republican primary. It's another to start to look to a general election when you need to attract independent voters. That's Trump's problem right now. And this is, I think, a telling question. 60% of the voters in South Carolina in the Republican primary said Trump would still be fit to be president if he's convicted of a crime. But that's 36% who say that he wouldn't be fit. So think about that. That's more than a third of voters, not just independents. Those are some core Republicans who say Trump would not be fit to serve if he is convicted, a very real possibility, before November. Guys, Klein, thanks very much. And George, what's your perspective on all of this? Well, I, I think Nikki Haley, and listen, Trump has effectively locked up the nomination at this point. He's solidified his control of the Republican Party. Now, why is Nikki Haley staying in? I think simply to be the last person standing if a health issue or Trump's legal troubles knock him out. So then she'll have some kind of claim to the nomination. I think that's her only hope at this point. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. All right. Thank you, George. I'm going to go overseas now. The U.S. carried out another round of strikes against Iran-backed rebels in Yemen. But there are new questions this morning about how effective they are. Our chief White House correspondent, Mary Bruce, has more. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, lots of questions as the U.S. is struggling to stop these relentless attacks by Iran-backed rebels, despite significant strikes against the group. Now, over the weekend, the U.S. and the U.K. launching yet another round of joint airstrikes, targeting 18 Houthi targets, including underground weapons facilities, radar, drones, and missiles. For months now, the Houthis have been terrorizing commercial vessels in the Red Sea, claiming to retaliate for Israel's war in Gaza. It has been a costly disruption to one of the world's most critical shipping routes. Now, these latest strikes over the weekend are now the fourth round of joint strikes by the U.S. and the U.K., but so far the Houthis are showing no sign of stopping or slowing down. In fact, they're bound to escalate their campaign. Now, the White House insists they have succeeded in degrading their capabilities, but there's no question the pressure is also growing on the Biden administration to do more to finally put an end to this, Robin. All right, Mary, thank you for your reporting. We're going to move now to the war between Israel and Hamas. The White House says 
says a tentative agreement has been reached on the framework for a temporary ceasefire. Our foreign correspondent, Tom Supi Burge, is in Tel Aviv tracking these developments. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Robin. Yes, ceasefire negotiations continuing this week while Israel pushes ahead with its plan to launch a military operation against Hamas in that densely populated area of Rafah in southern Gaza. The Israeli war cabinet this morning considering a proposal to try and move civilians out of that area where more than a million people are now living. Aid agencies warning of a potential catastrophe if the Israeli military moves in. But over the weekend, Prime Minister Netanyahu saying a military operation there could be delayed if a new ceasefire deal can be reached with Hamas. An Israeli source telling ABC News that Israel has now agreed to an updated framework, and that would see a six-week ceasefire and the potential release of 40 hostages. We're talking about the elderly, injured and sick, but probably not any Israeli soldiers being held by Hamas. In return, Israel would release hundreds of Palestinian prisoners. The IDF would redeploy, but not withdraw its forces from the Gaza Strip. And while Hamas considers that proposal, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan warning Sunday that a major Israeli military operation in Rafah should not proceed unless there is a clear and executable plan to protect civilians, something U.S. officials say they have not yet seen. Michael? No, so many hopes something can be negotiated, Tom. Thank you so much for that. We're going to turn now to the Supreme Court, set to hear arguments today in two cases about policing online speech that could transform social media as we know it. Senior National Correspondent Terry Moran is at the court. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Michael. These two cases, one from Texas and one from Florida, are being called the most important First Amendment cases of the Internet era. The justices are being asked to decide and set the terms of free speech online for decades. And it starts with the attack on the Capitol on January 6th and the decision by Facebook and Twitter, now known as X and YouTube and Instagram, to ban President Donald Trump from their platforms. So Texas passed a law uh, that makes it illegal for social media companies to take down political content based on its, quote, viewpoint. Florida passed a similar law that also uh, prohibited tech companies from banning candidates on the ballot in that state from their social media sites. Republicans say these social media companies are engaged in censorship straight up and they want it to stop. But the companies say that under the First Amendment, they have the right to set their own content standards just like any other publisher and that these laws will compel them to carry hate speech uh, and malicious misinformation and other dangerous content uh, online. Uh, this is no question about it. One of the biggest days for the First Amendment in the 21st century at the Supreme Court and the justices are expected to reach a decision in these cases by June. Robin? Many will be anxiously awaiting that. All right, Terry, thank you. Now to new questions about the murder of a nursing student on the University of Georgia campus. Classes are set to resume this morning after a 26-year-old suspect was charged. Our senior national correspondent Steve Osinsami is there on the campus in Georgia. Good morning, Steve. Good morning to you, Robin. The murder of this young woman has students grieving, and now state officials are asking questions about how her accused killer got in the country in the first place. I think it's really opened our eyes. Students are returning to classes this morning at the University of Georgia after 22-year-old Lakin Riley, a nursing student from a school nearby, was killed while she was jogging on these trails near a lake on the UGA campus. I think we definitely need to be more aware, like walking together. But it is the immigration status of the 26-year-old accused of killing her that's causing even more outrage and heartache. Jose Antonio Ibarra appeared in court over the weekend, charged with murder 
aggravated battery and assault and kidnapping. U.S. authorities say that he unlawfully entered the country in 2022. This court is not authorized under Georgia law to set bond in light of these charges. In high school, Riley competed at the state championships in cross country and was out running Thursday morning when she never returned. Investigations suggest that they had no relationship. Uh, he did not know her at all. Um, I think this was a crime of opportunity. Police found her body less than half a mile from an apartment building where they say her alleged killer was living. They say she died from blunt force trauma. A network of trails connects the apartment building to campus. On Friday, security footage and community tips led authorities to the apartment complex where they found and arrested Ibarra and his 29-year-old older brother, who briefly worked for the university and was charged with possessing a fake green card unrelated to the murder. The two have not yet entered pleas. The evidence suggests that this was a solo act. Authorities say the brothers are from Venezuela and that both have been arrested more than once by Georgia, New York State, and federal authorities, but were paroled or released before customs enforcement agents could step in. Over the weekend, students remembered Lake and Riley. Overnight, her first-year roommate wrote that she had a heart that left an impact on every single person she met. And on Instagram, her sister wrote that this isn't fair and I will never understand it. The murder suspect's first arrest was in 2022. He was detained after illegally crossing the border near El Paso. After that, he had a number of other arrests in at least two other states. Georgia's governor is now asking Washington how he was able to remain in the country despite those arrests. George. Okay, Steve, thanks very much. We're going to get the latest now from AT&T. The company is reimbursing customers for last week's massive cell phone outage. Chief Business Correspondent Rebecca Jarvis here with the details. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning to you, George. And it's not a lot, but at least AT&T is giving back some money for that inconvenience. For much of the day last Thursday, tens of thousands of customers across the country couldn't use their cell phones. The company said a software update gone wrong was behind that massive inconvenience. In a statement, AT&T has apologized, saying to help make it right, we're reaching out to potentially impacted customers and we're proactively applying a credit to their accounts. That credit is, quote, the average cost of a full day of service and that comes out to roughly $5. Some customers have already reported getting a text from AT&T overnight apologizing for the outage. If you do qualify, that $5 credit should show up on your bill within two billing cycles. Michael? All right, enough for a cup of coffee. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Thank you, Rebecca. Appreciate that. And coming up, the reaction after a top college basketball player was injured when students stormed the court in celebration after a huge upset. Plus, the latest on Wendy Williams after we learned about her recent diagnosis, what her son now says he believes caused her condition. And why Major League players are balking at their new uniforms. First, let's go back to Ginger. Right, so I was telling you all earlier, Dallas could go to 95 degrees wow. today. And if that seems early to hit 95, it is. It's only done that earlier a handful of times in history. So it's not just warmth, but really closing in on record warmth in so many places. Uh, not just in Dallas. I mentioned Chicago not only could break a record today, but also tomorrow. A few of the records that were tied or broken over Sunday, North Little Rock went to 78. St. Joseph, Missouri was 76. And we are going to see more records today. Every red circle you see on this map, will be a record high temperature. 
and not just tied in many places, it's going to surpass it. So Chicago, Des Moines, North Platte, all the way down into Texas. San Antonio could go close to 90 degrees, even Bismarck to 60. So yes, this is not just way above average, but we're like on that threshold of potentially warmest February temperatures. And it doesn't end there. It does move east, but I don't know if you noticed that 75 goes to a 30. <laughs> yeah, the, we're going to go through a big slide, but don't worry. The warmth comes right back. Can programs like chat GPT elevate your performance or replace you? We're going to tell you the jobs most at risk and how to AI proof your career when we come back. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That I can't even talk about. All right, everyone, gird your loins. I don't understand why it's so difficult to confirm an appointment. I know, I'm so sorry, Miranda. I actually did the confirm last night. of your incompetence do not interest me. <laughs> Tell Simone I'm not going to prove that. Welcome girl. back to GMA. <laughs> One of the classic moments from The Devil Wears Prada. There's Meryl Streep, Anne Hathaway, and Emily Blunt. See them there reunited at the SAG Awards. And Lara's going to have all the details coming up. Looking forward to that. Following a lot of headlines right now. Including the RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, she announced she's officially stepping down next week. Trump's already decided who should replace her. North Carolina GOP chair Michael Watley and Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, as co-chair. Sources tell ABC News Trump was drawn to Watley because he backs his false claims about the 2020 election. Trump does not get the final say there will be an election to choose the new RNC chair. That's probably a formality. Also right now, numbers for new home sales are out this morning after existing home sales climbed last month. Despite high mortgage rates, supply of existing homes is low because not many people want to give up their low mortgage rates. And kudos to the University of Iowa for commemorating the spot where megastar Caitlin Clark became the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball history. She needs just 51 more points to top the all-time NCAA scoring record held by LSU legend Pistol Pete. Yep, Pete Maravich. And she has two regular season games, the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments remaining. So I'm mm. pretty sure she's yeah, going to get it. I think she will. we got a lot more ahead. As AI becomes a bigger part of our lives, we're going to tell you the jobs at risk of being replaced and what you can do to help protect yourself. That is coming up. All right, we're going to stick with basketball. We're going to talk about college basketball, the college basketball star who was injured when fans from the opposing team stormed the court. Now, some are calling for a ban on the celebration, which seems like a tradition in a lot of ways. But Trevor Alt, you have the story. Tell us about it. Good morning to you. A lot of people have really strong feelings about it. I mean, storming the court is the exclamation point after a big statement win, you know, after you beat your rival or a high-ranked opponent. But, of course, all those fans pouring in at once does create chaos. And now we have a star player injured and some pretty loud calls for this tradition to stop. 
This morning, it's this moment just after the Wake Forest-Duke game that's now in the spotlight. Duke star Kyle Filipowski caught in the middle as Wake Forest fans storm the court, colliding with several as they run past, injuring his right leg. After the game, Filipowski tweeting, this gotta change. His coach asking when court storming will be banned. How many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted? It's a dangerous thing. Storming the court has historically punctuated college basketball's biggest wins. But this isn't the first incident calling the tradition into question. Just last month, Iowa star Caitlin Clark colliding with an Ohio State fan rushing the floor. She was helped off the court by security. And in recent years, some conferences began fining schools. Upwards of $100,000 if fans rush the court. I understand uh, that fans want to celebrate. And fans should be allowed to celebrate a big moment, especially when there's a big upset or a big victory. Uh, but that can't supersede safety. And the Wake Forest athletic director did say they regret what happened and that security had rehearsed for this situation, but they would have to do better. And he even said he agrees with Duke's coach. Something here has to change. In conferences like the SEC, they actually fine the schools like $100,000 for the first offense, $250,000, mm-hmm. $500,000 wow. trying to stop it. But there's a lot of people that are saying this is a tradition. You can't get rid of it. And it's not just in college basketball, you know, how they bring down the, exactly. the goalposts and football. Yeah, and yeah. carry like them to the river. Yeah. For all of they got on equipment. You run up on them, you better. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Get more protection. Uh, yeah. Basketball right. players are kind of exposed. You speak of knowledge. I understand, <laughs> Robin. All right, now. Thank you both so much. Now, the latest on Wendy Williams and the new claims from her family about her health from the documentary about the former daytime talk show host. Eva Pilgrim is here with those details for us. Good morning to you, Eva. Good morning, Robin. Where is Wendy Williams? It's the name of the new documentary and a question that exists even now. The new four-part series revealing in a raw way the difficult health battles facing the daytime TV icon. It's clear my needs help. And the biggest concern is people around him taking advantage of the situation. This morning, stunning new claims from the family of Wendy Williams, who was recently diagnosed with aphasia and dementia. I'm I'm afraid that she could die. Wendy's son and only child, Kevin Hunter Jr., speaking candidly in the new Lifetime documentary about his mother, saying her condition is alcohol-induced. Tell me about those doctors' visits and what you learned. So I think they said it was alcohol-induced dementia. Wendy's care team revealing last week that she was diagnosed with primary progressive aphasia and frontotemporal dementia, also known as FTD. Aphasia affects a person's ability to communicate, and FTD is the most common form of dementia for people under the age of 60. There is no evidence to directly link alcohol and frontotemporal dementia. So about 40% of frontotemporal dementia cases are genetic, and the other 60% of the time, we're not really sure why it happens. Wendy's niece and anchor for our affiliate WPLG, Alex Finney, sat down with our Deborah Roberts ahead of her aunt's public health acknowledgement. As a family, were you told that? So I did not see that diagnosis. I only heard that through family. Now, I know Kevin said it, but I personally didn't see it. It does make sense that she definitely cognitively has some things that are off. Does it lean the way of it being dementia? I think it could. Driver, Uh I said, go past the Wendy Williams show. 
Wendy's guardian, who was court appointed in 2022 after her bank alleged she was incapacitated, suing Lifetime just days before the release of a doc, a judge allowing the premiere. Some people are going to look at this and say, this is exploitation. She's being exploited. How could they do this? But I will say this, first and foremost, my aunt is the executive producer of this documentary. And she said, now is the perfect time because I want to take ownership of my story. She's got a point. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. Wendy Williams addressing her fans for the first time since the documentary release, saying in part, your response has been overwhelming, adding, I continue to need personal space and peace to thrive. Please just know that your positivity and encouragement are deeply appreciated. And her family saying while they have spoken to her, they still don't know where she is, but that she does appear to sound like she's doing better. And there's been a lot of talk about guardianships and conservatorships in New York. Court-appointed guardianships are reviewed yearly. Guys. All right, Eva, thanks very much. Coming up later, the measles outbreak in elementary school and what parents should know about keeping their kids safe. And next, Will Reeves is here to tell us why Major League Baseball players are crying foul. What's that about, Will? It's about a whole lot, George. Major League Baseball has unveiled new uniforms this spring training, but so far, players have been clear. They are too revealing, even see-through, and they want them thrown out before opening day. I'll run down what some players, the league, and fans are saying. That's coming up next. We are back with the hottest issue at spring training. Many players not happy with their new uniforms. Will Reeves here to explain. Good morning, Will. Uh, good morning, George. If you'll pardon the pun, uniforms have always been a key part of the fabric of baseball's centuries-old history. Another central theme of baseball's story is resistance to change. So a brand-new uniform overhaul would be a big deal, even if it went well. And so far, at least in the eyes of some players and fans, it's not. This morning, Major League Baseball spring training is underway and flying by the seat of its pants, literally. The new pants are 100% see-through. A league-wide uniform overhaul years in the making is now in effect. And issues with the jerseys and pants causing an uproar among some players and fans. You can see the Nike logo of this guy's like spandex under his pants. Why did no one think to test the pants first? Images of players in see-through pants and jerseys with small lettering going viral. Commentators weighing in as well. The names and the numbers have shrunk to Lilliputian size. The uniforms are designed by Nike with input from Major League Baseball and manufactured by Fanatics. The new threads have been in development since 2018. The goal was to make the uniforms lighter and more breathable, an idea similar to George Costanza's in an episode of Seinfeld. Polyester! <laughs> I can't believe you're not playing in cotton. Well, this is what they give us. And the numbers and letters on the back are screen-pressed rather than embroidered, a major flashpoint for fan criticism. In trying to reduce the weight, they changed the size of the lettering, that you don't want to have big embroidery like that yeah. on a, a lighter, stretchier jersey. The new uniforms made their debut at last year's All-Star Game. Players who wore them singing their praises at the time. I can feel the jersey being a little more breathable. But some now singing a different tune. MLB saying, based on player requests, adjustments are being made to jersey size, waist, inseam, length, thigh fit, and the bottom of their pants. The feel was okay, the lighter fabric was okay, but the look really threw players off. And then when they took them out on the field, fans noticed it very quickly as well. And Nike has said in a statement, quote, the quality and the performance of our product is of the utmost importance to us. 
We will continue to work with the MLB, the players, and our manufacturing partner to address player uniforms, unquote. And as someone who has shown their legs on national television, I get it. It's not the best. <laughs> but you got to keep doing the job. It's a bit different. Yeah, forgot about that. You, yeah. you brought it back, though. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Do you feel that it's, as an athlete, your uniform, does it really? Yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. You want to be yeah. comfortable. I mean, mm -hmm. the last thing you want to think about out there is your uniform, and especially in this case. If it's see-through, that's the last thing you want to think about. <laughs> yeah. You want to be able to just think about your job and perform. Okay, so I'll be the third one. Yeah. Gird your loins. <laughs> about five or six at this point. <laughs> Coming up, it's better than what you wrote down for us. Our player of the day. What are you talking about? <laughs> we're back now with our play of the day, and the Devil Wears Prada reunion at the SAG Awards over the weekend. Fans are still talking about. Come on, give us these details. I Good will, Robin. Good morning to yeah. you guys. So it was a very special moment when Miranda Priestly and her two assistants brought down the house at the 30th annual Screen Actors Guild Awards over the weekend. It started with Meryl Streep on stage to present an award, telling the audience she'd forgotten her glasses and envelope. Cue her two trusty assistants from the 2006 classic. Meryl then appears to get to the SAG Award business, asking the audience, quote, the age-old question, where does the character end and the actor begin, to which Anne and Emily answer using some classic lines from the film. Take a look. Well, as we've just and seen, Meryl and Miranda Priestley are sort of like twins. <laughs> right? I don't think I'm anything like Miranda no, Priestley. No, no. That wasn't a question. <laughs> Please, please, do the honors. By all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. <laughs> so well done. So well done. The trio there to present the award for outstanding performance by a male actor in a comedy series. That went to the Bears' Jeremy Allen White. Streep, by the way, wearing Prada and Hathaway wearing Cerulean Blue, a nod to Streep's legendary monologue from the film. It was a great moment. One of many fun reunions at the SAG Awards, guys, and we're going to have more of those coming up later in the show for oh, you. That was fun to see. Yeah. Oppenheimer. Woo! Yeah. Oh, seems to be unstoppable. That's yeah. it. We'll talk about it. We'll see and pop news coming up our oscars workout peloton's robin arzon is here with all the movie inspired moves come on back dry hot and windy in so many places ahead of this front so there was a 4,000 acre wildfire in parts of uh Texas, and they got this one contained, which is great news. In Colorado, a brush fire at 150 acres. So it's that time of year where you get dry. And today, relative humidity could be lower than 13% in Nebraska, parts of Iowa, you see into Missouri, Illinois, and even Texas, you've got those red flag warnings. But the winds ahead of that front are the biggest problem. This trough is strong. We could see gusts easily 40 to even some of those warnings are for 70 miles per hour. Now coming up here on GMA, one-on-one -on -one with Derek Huff and his wife, Haley, recovering from emergency brain surgery. Plus safety while running, how some women are taking control. Our Faith Abube learned some of the potentially life-saving techniques. And our series, The Right Fit, helping you find the right bra. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid.
1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Look at the top stories breaking at 8, starting with a new storm set to sweep across the country. Ginger's back with that. Yeah, we've got the pictures out of two inch per hour snowfall rates. This is Stevens Pass, Washington. Winter storm warnings above 1,500 feet and flipped cars. Thankfully, that person is okay. But this type of energy is really powerful and it's going to be moving across the nation. We have this new storm we're watching that will also kick winds up to 70 miles per hour. There are warnings all the way down through the Wasatch of Utah, but the warnings for some of the wind go into the northern plains to gusts of 70 miles per hour. It's ahead of a really powerful front that tomorrow will open up and the atmosphere could see not only damaging winds, but tornadoes. And yes, it's quite early in the season, but we've seen it before. So please beware anywhere from Southwest Michigan, including St. Joe, New Buffalo, Fort Wayne, like Terre Haute, Valparaiso, Chicago, back down to parts of Missouri and even Southern Illinois. Indiana's in there too tomorrow. And a real quick look at where this goes next. It all plows east and by Wednesday night we'll be having thunderstorms and a powerful switch and flip-flop. Minneapolis, I gave one earlier, but Minneapolis will go from 62 to nine. Oh, to Whoa. nine? Hey, Whoa. that's a flip. Big flip. Thank you, Ginger. Latest now in the race for the White House after Donald Trump effectively locked up his party's nomination with, the, with his win in South Carolina over the weekend. Now Nikki Haley has lost a big donor. Rachel Scott back with that story. Good morning, Rachel. Hey, George, good morning to you again. And this is a major blow for Nikki Haley. Not only did she lose her home state of South Carolina to Donald Trump, now the political organization founded by the billionaire Koch brothers says they will stop spending money to support her campaign. And an internal memo obtained by ABC News, Americans for Prosperity Action, insisting that no political organization can help widen her path to victory. This comes as Donald Trump is only solidifying his grip and his hold on the Republican Party, pushing forward with plans to help take over the RNC. ABC News has learned this morning that the current chair of the RNC, Ronna McDaniel, plans to resign next week. And Trump is already making the case for who he wants to see in that position, talking about the current chair of the North Carolina Republican party, Michael Watley, someone who has pushed his false claims about the 2020 election. Trump also says he would like to see his own daughter-in-law, Lara Trump, serve as co-chair of the organization. Now, Nikki Haley calling all of that outrageous, insisting that it is the responsibility of the RNC to look out for the Republican Party as a whole, just not one particular candidate who hasn't even been declared the Republican nominee just yet. Haley, despite these setbacks, she is vowing to stay in the race through Super Tuesday. In fact, she's already campaigning in Michigan. That primary set for tomorrow, Michael. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for that. I'm going to turn now to the growing concern this morning over the increased number of reported measles cases in South Florida. At least six children at one elementary school have been infected. Ariel Reschef is here now with the details. Good morning, Ariel. Hey, good morning to you guys. Certainly is concerning. Measles is a highly contagious and potentially dangerous virus. Florida health officials say so far there have been at least seven confirmed cases of measles in Broward County. Six of them appear to be connected to that elementary school, as you mentioned, Michael. It's usually recommended for unvaccinated 
unvaccinated kids to stay home for 21 days after an outbreak. But in Florida, the Surgeon General has said parents should make that call about whether their kids should go back to school, citing high immunity rates in the community. But the Surgeon General also noting that up to 90% of children without immunity will contract measles if they're exposed. Mm. As of late last week, the CDC counted 35 measles cases in 15 jurisdictions, and this is from coast to coast. Experts say one dose of the MMR vaccine is 93% effective against the measles. Two doses bumps that immunity up even higher. So bottom line here, doctors are recommending that children and adults stay up to date with those vaccines to protect from this preventable virus. If an unvaccinated child is exposed, they should receive the MMR vaccine within 72 hours to provide at least some protection and lower those symptoms. Very serious situation going on there. Absolutely. All right, Ariel, thank you as always. Coming up in our GMA morning menu, safety while running, the potentially life-saving techniques you should know. Also, had Amy Schumer reveals that she's been diagnosed with Cushing syndrome. We're going to tell you what it is and how it can be treated. Plus, Derek Huff on his wife Haley's recovery as he gets ready to go back on tour. And Lara's with Lori B. Hey, Lara. Hi. So this morning, Lori's bringing us the right fit, helping you find the clothing that works best for you, starting with bras today. So stay with us. It's coming up on Good Morning America. I was going to say something clever, but no need. <laughs> We're back now with our GMA cover story. Safety concerns are in the headlines once again after a Georgia nursing student, Lakin Riley, was killed while out jogging. Our Faith Abube took a self-defense class and joins us with how some people are fighting back. Good morning to you, Faith. A good morning to you, Robin. Attacks while running are rare, but disturbing headlines about women being victimized have left so many feeling vulnerable. The threat to their safety forcing many to take extra precautions just to enjoy a good workout. This morning, the shocking death of a nursing student killed while jogging on a wooded trail at the University of Georgia, raising new concerns about women's safety. The incident, just the latest in targeted attacks against women exercising alone. As a woman, do you feel more vulnerable in certain situations? Yes, all the time. I feel vulnerable walking. I feel vulnerable even in the car. The murder of 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts making national headlines in 2018 after she was abducted and killed while jogging in her Iowa hometown. Just two months later, another woman, 35-year-old Wendy Karina Martinez, fatally stabbed multiple times while out running in Washington, D.C. This is protecting her face. Some women are now taking control of their own safety by signing up for self-defense classes. Sadly, not until you're in that situation that you realize, oh, I'm not equipped for this. The instructor also teaching us some of the potentially life-saving techniques. Move your hips, smash the groin. Nelson Neo says if you have to fight back during an attack, focus on the center of the attacker's body. Imagine three red buttons, the eyes and the nose, the throat, and the groin. So if you hit someone, you always hit the center. Experts also stress being aware of your surroundings at all times. Avoid tuning out the world with headphones. Recruit a friend and prioritize open and populated areas. And if all else fails, scream as loud as you can to scare a would-be attacker. Katerina Oshbauer telling us she signed up for this class to feel more empowered after she escaped an attempted assault years ago while overseas. What do you hope to get out of this class? I hope I remember some of the moves. Hopefully you never get in a situation that you need it, but exactly. if you do... 
And while these tips and classes can save your life, bottom line, it is better to limit your risks in the first place rather than trying to fight through a dangerous situation. Safety experts say always trust your gut. If an area doesn't feel safe, avoid it. And for women who prefer running at night or early in the morning, it's probably best to join a local running group. Guys. Oh, thank, thank you yeah. so much. And I really appreciate what that woman said in the piece about you hope that you could remember right. that. You, you learn yeah. and you just you just never know how you're going to react in, that in a situation. Exactly. But it's good to be able to at least say that you're you feel that you're prepared. Mm -hmm. yeah, I do love the advice. idea just of a workout buddy too. Yeah, you know? exactly. We're going to turn out of the ruling by Alabama Supreme Court that frozen embryos are children. This has left many families in limbo as they try to figure out what comes next. Elizabeth Schulze tracking that story. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, George. Families in Alabama who are planning to start IVF tell us they're in an agonizing holding pattern. Their doctors say they hope to restart the fertility treatments in a couple of weeks, but that will mainly depend on if and when state lawmakers pass legislation to protect IVF. This morning, families in Alabama who were forced to put their IVF fertility treatments on hold are desperate for answers. There's a lot of medications involved, a lot of time involved, a lot of money involved. Gabby Price and her husband have been trying to get pregnant for six years. After a devastating miscarriage, they moved into a camper van to be able to afford IVF this spring. But their fertility clinic now says that timeline planned down to the day is on hold. They left me a voicemail and told me that um, as much as they would like to tell me that this is going to be a very short time that they have paused their IVF treatments. The clinic Alabama Fertility Specialists is one of three major providers that has paused new IVF treatments. Doctors there cite legal risks from Alabama's Supreme Court decision that said embryos are children. I had patients crying and crying on the phone last week, and I'm trying to hold it together so that I can reassure them that we are working tirelessly with them and many others to get this figured out. And now several major shipping companies are refusing to transport embryos out of Alabama, citing liability risks, which means many patients who want to move their treatment out of state are out of luck, too. Right now, we're, we're really pretty limited on the options that we have. Amid public uproar, Alabama's governor says she's working with state lawmakers to pass legislation that would protect the right to IVF. At the end of the day, you have to put the partisanship to the side and the politics to the side and address the issue head on, solve the problem. The White House this morning is escalating its attacks on Republicans, accusing them of publicly supporting IVF, but then promoting legislation that would put restrictions on it. The press secretary is pointing to a bill supported by more than 120 House Republicans, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, that is similar to Alabama's Supreme Court ruling. Guys. Well, that ruling is really shaking the country. Thank you, Elizabeth. Michael. All right, George. Now to Derek Huff. The Dancing with the Stars favorite is getting back to go, getting ready to go back on tour. And he sat down with Kana Whitworth to talk about his wife Haley's health journey as she's recovered from emergency brain surgery. Let's say good morning to Kana. Michael, good morning to you. Derek told me that part of the intention of going back on tour is about sharing with people the fact that you can carry on in the face of unimaginable adversity. And the idea that he can go back on tour again signifies progress. I'm going to be completely honest with you. About two months ago, I, I, I honestly didn't know when dancing was going to be in my world again. This morning, Dancing with the Stars, Derek Huff, opening up about his wife Haley's recovery as he prepares to go back on tour. It was, you know, just a million miles an hour, and then it just came to a screeching halt, you know, very, very quickly, and it was jolting, to say the least. 
Back in December, on their Symphony of Dance tour, Haley became disoriented. She was taken to the hospital and diagnosed with a cranial hematoma from a burst blood vessel, rushed into surgery, undergoing a craniectomy, and then a cranioplasty a few weeks later. It's something you never imagine. You know, I think anybody who can understand that feeling of just, you know, just disbelief or how it feels unfathomable. I still have really good days and I have really bad days, but I'm doing so much better. You right now are living a life of gratitude. It's been a time of just uncertainty and fear and a lot of emotions, but at the same time, it's been also a time of just absolute gratitude and moments of grace. Now, more than two months later, the couple settling in to their new normal. During that time was realizing how important she is, not just in my love of my life, but, but just in just everyday things. I was like, oh, I don't even know how to do that, or I don't know how to, that's, Haley does that. You know? How reliant you are on her. And certain, yes, it was a moment to step up for sure. You're learning a lot about the love of your life. I thought she was strong, and I had no idea how strong she was. Her strength driving her recovery and allowing Derek to dance again. Also a new outlook on life. Like, life is so precious. Haley was a big part of the tour. Haley's DNA is all over this show. It's all over this tour. She's there with me every step of the way. Is there anything that you want people to know that are coming out to this tour? I feel like I've, I feel like, like an emotional flood is is uh, is it's been open and it can't stop the past couple months. Take your time. But um, I think what I just want to let the audience know really is is one we're gonna have a good time, but also but on a personal level, just to remember that um, things do get better. And for now, you're you're gonna dance together in the park. We'll dance together in the park or in the kitchen. Or, or wherever we are, you know, in the grocery store. You'll, you'll catch, you see a little couple dancing in the aisle, it'll be us. That's really sweet. Derek says that he dreams of dancing with Haley on stage to their wedding song again. Now, he's self-funded this tour. He's added new dates, including more shows in his home city of Salt Lake. And you guys, he says that in a sense, this is really his way of saying thank you to the fans for their overwhelming love and support, guys. All right, Kana, thank you for that. And hopefully they are dancing back on stage together yeah. as, as Derek hopes. And now we're going to go to Ginger, who I, Ginger, I saw your reaction to that. Uh, I was yeah. just like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see that. Love you both very much. All right, let's talk about the Twin Cities. We've been telling you the whole winter they're on track for their warmest winter on record. And today is going to feel like it. Certainly into the 60s they go, but a big roller coaster ahead. The record high temperatures don't just stop at the Twin Cities. Look at all of the red circles. Every single city there could break a record. Uh, so all the way back through Oklahoma City that could go close to 90 today into the mid 90s in parts of Texas. And then we do the slide back down Chicago down to 30 from 75 Atlanta. You're, you're protected there staying in the 70s. But here's a look at all the sites that are right now on track for their top five warmest winters on record. 
It is that time, time for pop news. With yeah, I want to finish up what we were talking about earlier, the SAG Awards. It was a really fun night. We showed you all of those Devil Wears Prada moments from Saturday Night Ceremony, and there were more reunions. The cast of Modern Family on stage to present Ensemble in a Comedy Series. That went to The Bear. Uh, and this, Walter White himself, our friend Brian Cranston and his Breaking Bad family, awarding the Succession cast the drama ensemble award the audience also got a huge kick out of seeing Lord of the Rings stars Elijah Wood and Sean Astin reuniting 20 years after they won best film ensemble as for this year's big winners no surprise here Oppenheimer dominated Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. both winning alongside the full cast they beat out Barbie for the ensemble award for film and on the television side everyone is still saying yes chef the bear taking home the most TV wins. And if the SAG Awards are in fact a crystal ball, if you will, for the Oscars, it is going to be a very big year for Lily Gladstone. She made history as the first ever indigenous performer to win Best Actress in a Film. Gladstone took home that prize. She beat out Emma Stone and Margot Robbie for the award. A very big night. Oscars coming soon. Let's talk about the silver carpet, though, if you will. The Hollywood sparked. Uh, a lot of chatter uh, on Saturday night because sequins were everywhere. A huge trend with the likes of Jennifer Aniston wearing silver Celine. Do we have a shot? There oh, she beautiful. is. Beautiful. She looked stunning, rocking that Rachel. Selena Gomez shimmering in a white sequin Versace gown. I'm now thinking I got to throw on the sequins. Emma Stone <laughs> did it too. Stunning in silver, purple, and black. That was a backless Louis Vuitton gown. Shades of pink were another big trend. Brie Larson. This was unbelievable. Of course, it helps if you look like Brie Larson wearing a two-piece Versace dress. My goodness, girl. Tell us the ad secret. Uh, Margot Robbie brought a new twist to her Barbie pink in a black and white Scaparelli gown. Our favorite design of the night, though, came from a nine-year-old designing phenom. Ted Lasso's, uh, her Hannah, Hannah Waddingham's daughter. Okay, so Hannah's walking the silver carpet. She wear, she's wearing this red Tony Ward couture gown. There's her handbag, courtesy of nine-year-old daughter Kitty. She wanted to help mom complete her look. Glamour magazine posted this sweet interview of Waddingham talking about her one-of-a-kind accessory. Check this out. Do you know what she called it? Mommy, it's like you say, it goes with everything and nothing bag. Unstable like its mother. Yeah, yeah. But look, it holds more than your average bag. Isn't it gorgeous? It's, it is wow. fabulous, wow. Hannah. So yeah. great, so sweet. Mm -hmm. And Hannah, her daughter is just like mom. She wrote the word epic inside the bag because she wanted mom's night to be just that. It looks like it was, because look at this. After the ceremony, the entire cast of Ted Lasso wearing matching tracksuits, dancing <laughs> the night away at the after parties. That looks like yeah. the place to be. It was a fun night. That's Do you have your news. outfit all picked out yet? No, I don't. And now I'm very confused. Three <laughs> <laughs> Larson stole it. And now I have to totally rewrap. You always bring it. You're going to be great. Coming up, Lori B is here with our new series, The Right Fit, helping find the perfect bra for every body type. Come on back. Welcome back, everybody. And tomorrow morning, we're kicking off our series, Spring Break on a Budget. Hey, <laughs> you excited about that? All week long, we're sharing great ways to save you thousands on your spring getaway. We're going to start with cruise and ski trips.
Robin. All right there. But right now we're going to get the right fit. This morning we are checking out the bra, an item that so many struggle with. GMA lifestyle contributor Lori Bergamato got some expert advice for women that are out there. And this is really huge. This is really important. For yeah, I think we're going to take a look and see what okay. we did. How's that feel? I cannot wait to take it off. Yeah. Welcome to womanhood. The struggle to find the right bra is real. But have no fear, we're here for support. Undergarment education expert Kim A. Caldwell solves bra issues from real people to help find that perfect fit. Hi, my name is Danaska, and my problem is finding the right fit for comfort and support. Kim A., what can we do for Danesca? I feel like we're going to make a big size update here, and the reason for that is because comfort equals fit, and fit equals comfort. I see a major change here, so I'm going to ask Kim A., what did you do? We went from an F, which is a triple D, to a J cup, which is a huge difference. This delicious caramel cocoa color is blending in with her skin, so we don't even see it at all, which is really important. When you first saw yourself in the mirror, what were you thinking? I feel great. I love that it makes me look smaller, and I love that it just supports every area of me. Next up, Anne. Hi, my name is Anne, and my bra issue is that I have side boob and back fat and a little bit of sagging, and I'm looking for a solution that will fix all those issues. If you take a look at the back of her bra here, if I can get this all the way back here, this is probably too loose. Straps should really only come about an inch off the shoulder, so that right there plus a size update I think is going to make a big difference. Anne, you look fabulous. Thank you. Everybody's breasts are a little bit asymmetrical, right? It's sort of like hands and feet. So on the smaller side, you just want to maybe take that strap up just a little bit to keep it flush. How do you feel in this? It feels so comfy. I can't believe how comfortable it feels. Hooray! But supported, too. And finally, Oceana. Hi, my name's Oceana, and the problem that I'm having with my bra is that I feel like my bra size changes throughout the month. I'm looking for a bra that I can wear all year round. Our bodies are not static. They change throughout the month. We might be able to find a bra that can sort of fluctuate or flex with her. Now this really looks transformative. It's just a simple contour t-shirt bra, but in the right size, she's now lifted. And we went from wearing a 32B to a 30D cup. Bras fit, lives change. Oh, we thank those three women for doing that. Yes. And tomorrow, Lori's going to be back with the right fit for denim, but coming up. Oh, that's, why am I getting ahead of myself? Let's talk about this first. <laughs> Let's I'm talk getting about bras, I'm already, I'm already <laughs> and I keep We're thinking of my dad. We're excited about the series. We are. So what is the key here? The key, as you saw in the piece, and shout out to those three women. Yes. That's the, yes. the brave thing to do. And a lot of them were saying, like, we felt so much more confident. Danesca was standing up mm. taller. I thought we gave her heels, you know? The key is the right size. If you cannot get measured, and you should get measured if you're able to, the key is making sure that you have a size that fits comfortably. It should feel like a, a, a tight hug, okay. right? The bra expert there told us if you cannot get measured regularly, the thing to do is to try to go down in band size and up in cup size mm. and see if that helps you get a little bit more lifted. Because the body is always changing. Exactly. So it's a good place to start. Down, okay. band, up a cup. But speaking of cups, let's talk about this one, is right? Is the best overall? This is the best overall. This is from Notori. This is their Bliss Perfection. This one is loved by, it's like an industry leader. Hmm. It's loved by everybody who buys it. It ranges in size from a 30A to a 38G. And a lot of the thing that people love about this is it's a 360 degree jersey fabric. So it just feels so comfortable hmm. and you can wear it under anything. Okay, but how about wearing under a t-shirt? T-shirts are tough. We yeah. were talking about this. Whenever you're wearing something like that's a little bit tight, mm -hmm. maybe a little sheer, you want something that looks 
seamless underneath. This is from Skims. The internet is obsessed, yeah. obviously, with the Skims brand. We love this one because it has a great range of sizes, 30A to 46H, and it comes in 16 different colors, 10 of which are mm -hmm. varying skin tone colors. That's a thing that a lot of people struggle with, right? It's right. finding that match, and this one offers a great variety. Got so many different colors there. Exactly. The strapless. Come okay. on, this is really. I mean, it's an albatross for so many of us. Yes. This is so difficult, but let me tell you, all of your problems are solved, everyone. <laughs> this is from Wakol. It's the red carpet strapless bra. This one is the go-to. I've been on a ton of shoots mm -hmm. with celebrities, with models, with real women. This is what every stylist has in their pack. One of the reasons people love it is because it has a, a medical-grade silicon strip so that it won't slip. There's going to be no slippage. Because that's the annoying thing about strapless. Yeah, you feel like you're always right. like adjusting and pulling it up. Mm -hmm. These will not do that. It also has an extra padding around the underwire. So it is actually comfortable. I'm telling you. Okay. A medical grade. I mean, there that you tells go. you something right Science there. Science okay. here on the right foot. I, I was not familiar with the bralette. Okay. So the bralette is the number one oh. most searched for bra on Google right now. I didn't know the name of them. I love these. They're yes, amazing, yes, right? They and are. women love them because they're comfortable mm -hmm. and it's all about being comfortable right now. This one is from Soma. They love it because there is no underwire, but you still get that lift and support. It's under $40 and you get that beautiful lace trim. Mm -hmm. What's not to love? Robin I was Roberts. trendy and I didn't even know it. There you go. I didn't know the name of it. I love it. But Lori, thank you. And thank as I you. was saying, as we told you, tomorrow Lori is going to be back with the right fit for denim. That's another big it's one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, coming up, pal, to IA-proof your career and your resume. So come on back to the right stuff and the right <laughs> fit. Welcome back to Times Square. And comedian Amy Schumer says that recent comments about her appearance made her realize something was wrong. And now she's revealing that she's been diagnosed with Cushing syndrome. And our medical correspondent, Dr. Darren Sutton, is here to tell us more about it. And, and Dr. Sutton, what is Cushing syndrome? Uh, good morning. So it's one of those diagnoses, one of those causes of disease where it's if you find it, you can find a cure, but if you miss it, it can be fatal. So it centers around a problem where there is too much cortisol in the body. We've all heard of cortisol. It mm -hmm. is more than just a stress hormone. It's involved in many different systems in our body, which is why when it's too much of it, it can present with a variety of symptoms. And Michael, the most important question is what is causing it? Could it be something, for example, the patient is taking most commonly a medication like a steroid for treatment like asthma or even psoriasis? Mm -hmm. Or could it be something internal, what we call endogenous, for a, a cause for a tumor, for example, that's inappropriately producing cortisol? The most important part is the workup to figure out why that's happening. And, and we know that Amy, she she came out with this because some fans had commented about her puffier than usual, the normal face when she was doing you know some promotions for her latest project. And she was actually here and made a joke about it. But it goes to show that's a sign of Cushing syndrome. Yep, it's a sign. And what are so many other signs? So it can present in very different ways from person to person. So most commonly, it can be things like unexplained weight gain or even facial changes like facial puffiness or even growth, uh, hair growth on the face. And then it can also be skin changes like easy bruising or even new unexplained stretch marks. And so those are some of the reasons why it can be so difficult sometimes to diagnose. And Michael, it's often misdiagnosed as something commonly women have called PCOS. It's just a reminder 
reminder to us as physicians and also people that you just have to make sure you ask the right questions. And she said she had the kind of Cushing disease, I mean, Cushing syndrome that will work itself out yeah. and that she's healthy. Does it always work itself out or is there some type of medication or anything like that you could take? Well, if you find the exact cause, yes, it can work itself out, but mm -hmm. I will say that it often takes sometimes weeks to months for patients to fully recover. It can be something simple, like just simply stopping that medication that's causing it. Some patients require surgery or radiation, but it's, it's just a reminder and it's important and helpful that people like Amy with large platforms share this yeah. and their human experiences because it just reminds us and the importance about awareness and also, again, asking those right questions. Yeah, I'm sure her coming out is going to have a lot of people go, oh, okay, let me get checked out for this Absolutely. and that's the purpose of it all. All right, Dr. Sutton, thank you so much for your time as always. Now over to you, Ginger. And Michael, I got changed because we got a workout segment coming up, but I could start now with a warm-up that looks like this because we've been picking which route we're going to take, right, Fonz? Uh, <laughs> skiing. That was me skiing, in case anyone wondered. Uh, it's Sun Valley, Idaho. They've had 86 inches. <laughs> Jackson Hole has had 108 inches so far this season. So with El Nino, it's more the, you know, southern states that get the heftiness. But wow, we've got a serious couple of storms that in the next seven days will bring parts of the Rockies to to five feet. The Sierra Nevada, this could be the biggest for you the entire season because compared to last year, it's been much less. And it is time now for our series All In on AI. It's a phrase we've heard from many CEOs of big tech companies over the last year, but some people are worried about their jobs being replaced by the technology. Rebecca Jarvis back with that story. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, George. Yeah, so what do these CEOs mean when they say that? Well, I want to let you in on a little secret. Some of them aren't really sure yet. They just know that this technology is going to change everything. They are fighting to stay relevant as much as workers are. So here's what you can do to increase your value and keep your sanity with all the change ahead. When Cassandra Mason discovered the reason she lost her freelance copywriter job of three years, it wasn't what she expected. They, in fact, were just replacing all the writers with ChatGPT because the cost was so much less. ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence language model from OpenAI that can do everything from write a Shakespearean sonnet to pass the bar exam, has provoked fascination and fears, making AI a worldwide conversation. I was definitely unpleasantly surprised, but at the same time, like it was right at that time when ChatGPT was really just the hot topic. And the AI arms race is only getting fiercer, with developers building more advanced language models and even models that can create images or video from text. An estimated two-thirds of current jobs are exposed to some degree of AI automation, with industries like healthcare, finance, and e-commerce incorporating AI to increase productivity while saving time and money. AI is going to unlock tons of industries that we can't even imagine today. Kanjun Q is the CEO of Imbue, a company building new user-friendly AI systems to help workers across industries accomplish real-world goals faster. I think of AI as uplifting our jobs and our work. It's taking away a lot of the very detailed kind of grunt work and freeing us up so that now we can get that grunt work done really quickly and we can focus at a more strategic level. A working paper from Harvard Business School found generative AI can improve a worker's performance by as much as 40% compared with workers who don't use it. 
while LinkedIn data shows AI shifting core job skills up to 65 percent by 2030. The most in-demand skill of 2024 is communication. AI will help us be more efficient in our work, but it's not going to replace all of the work. You're still going to need to be able to you know, sell a product, sell a home, and that is through the, you know, that personal interaction. And this applies to many different types of jobs. So it's those human skills that are going to be becoming even more important. Well, Rebecca, mm. these changes are coming so fast. If you're worried that AI is posed a threat to your job, what do you do? Well, first of all, George, you have to understand AI in order to understand the threat. And it's just useful to understand that AI is not ready to replace humans entirely because it does make mistakes. But you heard there at the end of the story that emotional intelligence, strong communication, identifying needs before your boss has to ask, being a reliable problem solver who goes above and beyond, those are elements that can really distinguish you from a machine, from technology. That said, it is important to get to know that technology there are a number of free apps out there that will walk you through it, or you can just start with the ChatGPT app, feed it prompts, see what it can do. Someone on our staff, Elena, your makeup artist, mm -hmm. Robin, she plays around with it. She's gotten yep. so good, and it can really help make your life simpler, too. And what if you're looking for a job? So it's really important to know that a lot of companies are now using AI to weed applicants out, and what they're doing is they're scanning resumes for keywords. Now, it doesn't mean just throw a bunch of those keywords right on your resume. Instead, you can look for hints about which words to include in your resume on the job posting description. So if your resume already says client-facing job, but the job posting that you're applying for says human-centric, change that to human-centric on your resume. Also search Google for keywords, the top keywords for industries where you're applying, and think about making some of those changes. Again, be truthful, be honest on your resume, but just do the tweaks so that the computer catches you and puts you in the let's review further with a human being pile. Mm. Good advice right there. Rebecca, thanks very much. Let's go to Lara. Uh, thank you so much, George. Yeah, coming up, the road to the Oscars. Robin Arison is here with the best moves to look red carpet ready. I better get involved. Yes. Hold on. Yeah. All right, we're, we've got a whole bunch of great, great workouts inspired by this year's nominees. This is Barbie. <laughs> We are back now on the road to the Oscars with Hollywood's, uh, well, the, the big night is two weeks away. So this morning we have an award-winning workout for you to help, with the help of fitness expert, Robin Addison, who is taking us to the movies. Did you, did I, I got it, right? I really, we're, I we're, we're getting it. there. I saw, I saw. <laughs> All right, so I want to talk to you first. Um, Ginger, thank you for being here. I am for so helping happy. us out. I will um, jump in anytime. Uh, thank you. I know you're very fit and there's no one fitter than you. Um, we have our first film, a Nyad inspired workout. So cue the ocean, please. Let's get swimming. Get swimming, ladies. So you're going to extend your arms, extend your legs, and you're going to swim. This is working. Core, glutes, arms. Annette Benning would be proud. Annette, yeah, your form is incredible. And this is this is something that you can do every single day. It's not too 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, three times. You can do it in a commercial break. Yeah, really, there's no reason. That's right, that's right. All right, so now let's head to Barbie Land. Cue Barbie Land, please. Here we go. And we are bringing the Kennergy yes. this morning. All right, let's, so how are you bringing the Kennergy? So this is Ken's abs, all right? So oh. we're gonna balance on our tailbone, and we're gonna take that beach ball right Ooh, and yeah. left. This is getting into Do our you feel core, yes. our obliques. And you really wanna engage that core by imagining that you're blowing up a balloon through a straw. 
So a lot of folks are like, how do I get yeah, how do turn you do on my abs? Exhale. Oh yeah, and there you that's go. That's it. We all have them. Right. We're in there. What do you think, Ginger? <laughs> I love this. These are one of my favorites, especially with the lighter ball, because I usually try to do weights. Yeah. But I like this you because can it's like get a more focus. of a twist. Yeah, yep. it's more of a twist. Exactly. And I feel, you know, not like Ken abs quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <laughs> like maybe like pre-menopausal. One Ken abs. What about a Barbie, um, a high heel inspired Barbie? We can't solution. forget about Barbie, so we're gonna take it into some calf raises, getting yeah. into those Barbie feet. Now hold the Barbie feet, heel elevated. Take it into a squat. That is so you're serious. On, you're literally off your heels. You're literally off your heels. You're working your stability. You're working your lower body. Yeah. <laughs> and where are we really targeting one. here? So this is calves. This is hamstrings. This is glutes. And it's core. Because Again, the core is going to help you with yes. your balance. Yeah, which is yep. so critical for longevity, not only for getting in uh, Oscar shape, as yes. we like to say. All right, so now let's move over to the Spider-Verse. Ginger, are you ready? Because this, this is one, the is, hard one. This is the This move. is the toughest one. This is the superhero okay. move. So you're, we're going to be starting in that push-up position. And as you're getting down on the push-up, you're going to bring your knee to your elbow. Whoa. Look how strong those. she is. That's incredible. <laughs> Those. And yeah. alternating yeah. right and left. And of course, you could always modify by bringing your knees yeah. down or taking it into oh. a traditional push up. All right, and Robin, <laughs> let's talk again about we, with all of these. Are we thinking three sets of 10, three sets of 12? Yes, exactly. Well, Ooh. I would say um, you want to pretty much work for 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. Three rounds. Okay. And that's going to be yeah. a very well rounded workout. I mean, so ideally, you could do this full workout in 15 minutes. Yes. Which is what I have for this segment, right? I'm <laughs> oh, just kidding. All right, so let's head now to Barton Academy. Grab the check. This is the holdovers. Yeah. Thank um, you. Everybody, Paul Giamatti, we love you so much. And show us how, what we're doing with these This bugs. is a shoulder burnout. So you're going to be standing with those arms oh extended oh, alongside yeah. your body like a human T. This is going to burn. And, and, you have big bucks, and if you, you don't have an encyclopedia handy, yeah. you can use weights. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can use traditional dictionary. weights. But, you know, it's Oscar season. Or if you don't have that Oscar lying around, you yeah. know. Or two, or two. Um, <laughs> and you can also take the weights up. These are so fun, really easy. You can you can obviously, you know, if you don't have a beach ball or, or encyclopedias, just use weights. But they're fun, they're easy, they're simple, and we've got some work to do. Robin, we love having we you here. Thanks Thank so you much. Very much. That was Robin. so fun. Uh, paving the way to the Oscars with us, the 96th annual Oscars, of course, air where? Right here on ABC on March 10th. We will be right back. Where are those beach balls? <laughs> and we thank you for watching this morning on <laughs> You are more than holding your own yeah. with Robin. Listen, Robin. it's because of yes. Robin's training. That's that it. Yeah. I've trained with her. <laughs>
But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 